This is the Warriors Community Podcast, a platform to share personal stories that inspire, equip, and empowers those who listen. Everyone has something in their story that is relatable. Everyone has a lesson to be learned from their story. And everyone has a tool to give to someone else to use on their personal journey. Our hope and prayer, the mission of the Warriors community, is that as you listen, as you hear people's struggles and their failures, but also their wins and successes, that you feel inspired, motivated, and encouraged, but that you also feel equipped and you walk away with tools to use on your journey and that you feel empowered to keep going, especially if you're in a place where you are struggling too. We hope that through this podcast, you learn, but you also connect with other women and you can connect with them, not just by listening to this podcast, but you can connect on social media. We really want this to be a place where a community is developed and where women can network, share resources, bond, and develop relationships. We hope that you enjoy this podcast, but we also hope that you join in on the Warriors community. Welcome back to the Warriors community podcast. In today's episode, I have a new friend with me today. Her name is Christina. How do you say your last name? Is it Rivera? Rivera. Rivera. Well, okay. It's Spanish. It's Latin. So it technically would be Rivera, but I am super white. So I don't say it that way. (laughs) So it's just Rivera. I mean, I know it's not a video podcast, but it's like a tiny little white blonde girl. So it's Christina Rivera. (laughs) I knew I was going to mess it up. I almost asked you before we push record. And then I thought, "Eh, well, I'll mess it up. So Christina, I'm just going to say that is with us today. <laughs> and I'll do re- one name person like Cher and Madonna. Here you go, Christina. Just Christina. Sure. So I met you actually through a mutual friend, Reagan, and Reagan was on the first Warriors podcast. She shared a story which to this day is still one of the most played stories and podcasts from the original podcast. So she introduced me to you because you have a love for books and writing, and you have been extremely helpful to me on the writing end, but we also just clicked really fast on Marco Polo and talking about all the deep things like immediately. So (laughs) so I'm not very good at small talk. And so I just, I don't even try. I loved that because I hate the like, how are you? You know, what do you do? I I just, we skipped that and I really appreciated it. So we had a conversation, well, multiple at this point of what is deconstructing your faith. And that is a new concept for me. I know it's a very hot topic right now. I, now that I'm aware of deconstructing and some people call it disentangling, I'm hearing that word everywhere we go. And you have a unique perspective. So I'd love for you to talk about that. But before we get there, can you tell the listeners just a little bit about who you are, where you came from, what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, I mean, from uh, who I am, as far as like my Christian faith background, So I did grow up in the church, but it wasn't, it was almost like very Baptist. So I knew Jesus, but I didn't really know the Holy spirit and the relationship wasn't super personal to me. So as I got older, it just, the way that I had seen Christianity represented was very much just, well, yeah, like you go to church and you believe that there's a God and then you live your life like the rest of the world. And it's not that different. And so that's what I did. Um, and that led me down a path of like sex, drugs, rock and roll in the most literal sense. And then I was high on meth one night and a guy came up to me and handed me like a little rubber bracelet. This is a guy also on meth. So this is like, not the place where you would find Jesus. And it said, nothing's too hard for God. And in that moment, I knew that not only was there God, but that he was like, like I heard and felt the presence of the Lord like I never had. 
saying like, you don't belong here. <laughs> like this is uh, not the place for you. And I knew that he was just calling me to him in a new way. And so I left that night and I never touched drugs or anything again. It was like a total complete, like 180, no like rehab, no nothing. It was just like, this is not where I belong. And thankfully God had already been aligning my path with people who knew about the Holy spirit, knew about the gifts of the spirit, knew about angels and demons. And I mean, regardless of, I'm sure you have listeners that may or may not believe that, but as if you've been in the drug world, you definitely believe in angels and demons. You have seen things. Yeah. So it was great because I was getting connected with people who had experience with the supernatural. And I had had experience with that in a dark way. And so now I was seeing experiences in it with a light way. And that is what led me to, because one of the things that you and I bonded on is me being in a cult. Yes. And that is like, this is literally the history of how I got where I am today to being like a healthy individual. So I get out of that. And within a couple months, I meet this group of people who knows about the gifts of spirit, knows about the supernatural. And it's amazing at first. It's absolutely incredible. It's, you know, I'm learning about prophecy and I'm feeling like the presence of God and I'm hearing the voice of God and I'm learning about spiritual gifts and we're all going on retreats together and people are like encountering, you know, there's these great moves of God where people are like feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit. They, you know, if you believe in deliverance and like getting, casting out demons and stuff like that, it's like people were getting quote set free. Like we use that terminology to just explain a, you know, new level of spiritual health. And yeah. all of this was happening and it was beautiful and amazing, like in people's living rooms in like a random, this was in Nakona, Texas, that we had this big spiritual retreat. So it's nothing fancy. It's just a group of people who are all gathering and we just want to know Jesus more. That's it. Out of that, this, there was an older couple and not old, like at the time I was 21 um, and they were probably in the early forties. So they were like the kind of the leaders of this movement, just in the sense that they were the like adults there and all the rest of us were in our twenties. So out of that little pod of people, me and the ministry leader, what became the ministry leader, she and I had a conversation and she had this vision for starting a women's ministry. And I'm a very go-getter, direct, like, I see the vision, let's go attack the vision. And so I was very much that way still, as I was finding the Lord. Now I was just like, well, if God said it, we got to do it. Let's go. Let's make it happen. <laughs> um, so when she said that, I was like, let's do it. So we founded, co-founded this ministry together. And that was amazing at first. <laughs> like, same thing. We're impacting women's. We're we're having conferences, we're doing teaching nights. And this was all like back in 2010. So this was way before the digital world is what it is today. But you know, we're seeing people's lives change. It was growing at a really, really quick rate. And that was great for like a year and a half. And then it started getting weird. It started becoming extremely legalistic. It started turning into, you know, slowly our lives had morphed into her life. So nobody you know, when you would, your plans for the week were whatever her family plans were. So we're going to their kids' sporting events. We're going to business meetings that she had. We're all involved in the business that they're a part of. You know, we're waking up at 5 a.m. and doing the workouts that she's doing. We're wearing the same clothes, wearing the same makeup. So it's becoming a very enmeshed group of people in like leaning in an unhealthy way and becoming very legalistic in the teachings. And this always... I'm a very rational, logical person, also very faith-filled, but I'm, I'm like, when it came to biblical studies, I'm like, where is it in scripture? And yes. I was very methodical and logical in how I was approaching scripture. So, you know, she would want to do these teachings on like cleaning out your house. And it was about getting rid of all secular things, including like frogs, owls, wolves, oh, and she goes. would find... Yeah, she would find like these metaphors in scripture and say that those things were demonic and therefore you must get rid of them. So you have people that are getting rid of like, you know, their $300 glasses because they've got snake skin on the side <laughs> and like getting rid of all their music back in the world of iTunes when you had to like pay for stuff like that. 
Mm -hmm. um, to be more holy. And listen, I don't disagree with that teaching to an extent, if, but I think it's Holy Spirit motivated. If there's something that's like the Holy Spirit is saying, that's probably not the healthiest for you. Sure. Get rid of it. But this wasn't that this was a human telling you do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. So it started to become teachings like this. It was very much like freedom ministry, which I still believe in. I believe in angels. And if you have angels, you have to have demons. And um, so this idea of like casting out of demons or whatever, fine. But it was like, it was a constant. It was, there's always a problem. You've like never arrived in your growth. There's always like something that you had to work on that she had to give you wisdom for. So we would have like couch times that were hours on end that was all dissecting all the things you had wrong. And I, because I question a lot and I'm outspoken and bold and all those things, I was always told about how I needed to become a Proverbs 31 woman. Like at the time Same. I have always do what? Same. I was yeah. always told how I was not that I was in rebellion. And that is not a Proverbs 31 woman. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I'm just so deeply relating to you right now. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And feel free to interrupt me because I just like sprint in my talking with no pauses either. So it's like, no, this is great. Don't stop me, I won't. This is, a, this is all the background. Yes. It's like, setting yeah. up. yes, yes, totally. Setting up to where I am today. So yes, I was told I was rebellious, had a Jezebel spirit coming into the cult. I had gotten married and it was like, don't get married on drugs. That's the short version of that story. I got like, don't get married on drugs. So that marriage was like, not super blessed, um, but <laughs> When you go from like being unsaved to save, the church teaches divorce is not an option. You got to make it work. So it was like, I was going to make that work. I say all that to say, the only reason why that's relevant to the story is I have always had a successful career. Even when I was doing drugs, like at 19, I got my first job in marketing. I was almost immediately promoted, like within a few months to the head of the department. I've always been that way. And I was told because I was married, I needed to quit my job and get prepared for having kids. And he needed to be the breadwinner, even though he was like a waiter. Wow. <laughs> so like, so the belief was women stay home, like that very traditional, very traditional, even though she was like an outspoken leader, but she was a leader of a women's ministry, but it was very much the culture of men are the head of the home. You submit to the man, you serve the man. Like, I remember we went on a retreat and like one of the first things she did was divvy out who was going to take care of the men. So like to make sure that even the single guys, like that they had plates made at dinner, that you were taking care of them oh kind of thing. <laughs> See, that's where I would have rebelled and just been like, no, I will make my plate and do nothing for no one. Just yeah. because you said that. Yeah. yeah. But, and you know, coming and the reason why people stay in like cult like environments is it's a lot of it was the community aspect, but it's like when you're coming from the background that it came from not having full scope of knowledge of what truth is and being desperate for it. When you have someone that like you see their life and go, Oh, I want that. And they're saying, this is what truth is you're inclined to grab onto it, you know, especially when you have a whole community of like your closest friends around you that are all doing the same thing. Then it's like, oh, okay, this must be truth then because supposedly this is where the fruit is. And it's not until you kind of get further down the road that you see, oh, this, this is actually plastic fruit. It's not like literal fruit. <laughs> it's so not real fruit. <laughs> because especially when you're young and you're, you are pursuing a relationship with the Lord, or you do want to do ministry and you see a group of people who are doing those things and you want to belong, you want community. And you also, there's ego in there, whether you know it or not. And for sure. you also want to be important and you want to do something for the kingdom. So you see that everywhere of that. Well, we well, biblically we're young and we need someone to be over us, to mentor us, which is, I don't think is incorrect. It's just when you, you can be led astray so easily because of your ignorance. So yes, that is a hundred percent how, this is how you and I bonded. Cause I'm like, I, yeah. I heard your story on over Marco Polo. And I was like, I just feel all of those things. Yes. Yeah. Go ahead. And being, being 20 coming into it. And I mean, it's like when you step in, when you go from like a drug world to a Jesus world, that's such an abrupt, hard left. 
that it's like I didn't really have any friends other than this new community that was being built. And when that's all that you have, it's like, look at what the loss would be if I walk away from this now. And by that point, you know, when we're one and a half years into that group and that ministry, it was very much like we all lived within five minutes of each other or they lived at her house. You know, we all hung out literally every day. We were spending holidays together. So not even spending like Christmas with our family. We spent Christmas at their house buying gifts for their children, even though we're all like a bunch of broke 20 year olds. (laughs) Yeah. But anyways, going back to where I was at that moment, being told I was rebellious, Jezebel spirit, quitting my job, you know, coming, trying to be submitted, be the Proverbs 31 woman, husband at the time can't hold down a job. We lose our house. Like this is full chaos. I end up getting divorced within that time. And that's about the only thing, not the only thing I'm going to be gracious. That was one of the things that they got right is I do actually feel like they handled my divorce in that situation. Well, because it was just, it was not a healthy environment for me, but then that was another thing that then became held over my head. It was everyone was supportive of me getting a divorce, including our pastors at the time, because everybody saw what was going on and it was just unhealthy. Like you, when you have somebody that's unwilling to change and it's kind of like emotionally abusive type situation. Yeah. But that's a whole separate story. But that was something that got held over my head was like, we have done so much for you. You need us. We have stood by you in the divorce. We have stuck our necks out for you and your reputation, because I was a ministry leader at the time. Like I had founded that ministry with her. It was, she and I were the faces of it and building it and making it happen. So getting a divorce in that context was a big deal. All of it became very manipulative in that way where we're all, life is very much enmeshed. It was very, you need me. I have to help you heal this. Our destinies are tied together. Your calling is tied to mine. I remember her telling me, you know, there's some people that are called to serve God and some people that are called to serve the man of God. And you're one of those people called to serve the man of God. And you're just a behind the scenes person. Oh my goodness. Which Since is- I was four years old, I have never been told I was a behind the scenes person. <laughs> right. I've known you for two seconds and I can say that. No, that is not it. But yeah. to like, we've talked so much on, on this podcast about cults. And I know that's not ultimately the topic of this conversation, but just for listeners again, so you can hear it from someone who came from a different atmosphere that was cultish. When, when you all look the same, talk the same, walk the same, you do everything the same, everyone thinks the same, but it's like, there's no differentiation. I like that you use the word enmeshed because I, I don't hear people use that word often in a, a ministry setting like that or a cultish setting like that. And it's so true. You lose who you are and you become enmeshed with the leader, not really with Holy Spirit. Yeah. That well, was- and here's why all of this is important because in talking about deconstruction, people do the same thing in regular church life. It's just at a different level. In a cult, it's very extreme. Um, because like you're walking away from family, you're believing like usually really intense belief systems, but the core nature of both environments is that you're developing belief systems and convictions based off of what someone said, rather than based on your own like experience and study and conversations with the Holy spirit. That's what it all boils down to. Yeah. Um, so wrapping up my cults episodes, <laughs> Uh, after I got divorced, the way that I got out of it was there was, who's my now husband. He was my best friend for years in the cult. And after my divorce, I had wanted to date him and was, you know, at first it was encouraged and like, oh my gosh, I think you like him. There's something going on there. And then when it got serious and I was like, cause when you've been friends with someone for years, you know, pretty quickly, whether you're in or out. And he and I both like knew immediately this was it. And it was like, when it got serious, she was like, no, people are going to think that you had an affair. This could look bad on the ministry. He needs to be uh, more financially prepared before you guys can date. There was like in their business, there was a certain level that she wanted him to hit in their business before he could date me. So we did this dance for about a year of trying to stay away from each other per their instructions. And finally I fasted and prayed 
And I felt like peace from the Lord to make the decision that I wanted to make. And I sat down with them and said, Hey, look, I didn't even say I want to leave the ministry or anything. It was just, Hey, I want to date Drew. That's it. Like, yeah. that's it. Like I have prayed about this. I feel peace. I'm going to do this. And they said, you know, you're fired from the ministry. You're walking away from your destiny. This is not the Lord, blah, blah, blah. And yeah. so Drew and I both worked at the ministry and we were fired that day and no one talked to us again. So it's like great way to start a marriage, by the way, not even a marriage, just a relationship is like with no jobs and no friends and going through <laughs> mass trauma. <laughs> We're like, well, we have each other. That's yeah, and that's it and nothing else. <laughs> oh my good. Okay. So I, when you left and you, and, and at least you had him, but what? I didn't leave. I was thrown out. <laughs> you were thrown out. When you were thrown out, when you were fired, kicked to the curb, what did that look like for you guys for a while? Because I know for me, I, you know, I ended an engagement. So a little bit similar, I ended my engagement and then there was a lot of anger around that, that caused a, a whole lot of issues. And so I, I fled, I mean, everybody turned, not every, I shouldn't say everybody, a lot of people turned against me, but did not want me to leave. So I moved back to Dallas and I remember I let, I lived alone the first year I was back in Dallas, Texas, and I would go to work and fight tears every day. And sometimes I would go to the bathroom just to cry. And I didn't know why I had no words, mm -hmm. nothing. Going to church was something I knew I had to do because I was a Christian, but I, I would go to church and I would cry and I would come home from work and I would cry. And I, I had never dealt with depression despite all the trauma I had gone through, never dealt with depression until I was gone. That wow. was to this day, I think one of the darkest years that I had because I was fully out of it and it hit me the weight of what happened. So yeah. did you experience something similar or was, did it take longer? What did that look like for you? Yes, but it definitely took longer. So for us, it was very much because we were thrown out and we knew that our closest friends outside of those leaders in that ministry disagreed with their decision. That's what was like, that was what was really hard about it is that they were, they, we knew that they didn't agree with the decision the leaders were making and we're going along with it anyways, because that's just what everyone did. So like at the time I had a house that was in my name with two of the girls from the ministry. And of course, like shortly after that, they moved out because they had to distance themselves from me because I was walking in rebellion. <laughs> so then like, I end up getting evicted because I can't, I don't have a job. I don't have anything, but my perspective was more. I'm very good in crisis <laughs> because I'm like very level-headed and able to just be like, we have to figure this out. Mm -hmm. So it took me a while to process the emotions because I had to get life together. So it was like, I have to find a job, a place to live. I have to figure out how to move like this. We are where we are and I can't undo it. So it was like, I need to problem solve. And so I went into problem solving mode and very quickly found a job. Again, I've always been like successful in the corporate world, um, figured out like apartments, living situations, all of that. So I very quickly picked myself up and I knew that like I had a calling in ministry, but I didn't know what that looked like. And so my next step was like going to Bible college. I was going to fin. I had been a high school dropout, so I never went to college. Uh, but I was like, okay, I'm going to go get a theology degree and started going to school. And that I think was the catalyst for what we'll call deconstruction, because yeah. all I knew I was, it was like a very practical, I need to pick up the pieces here because we are where we are. And it wasn't until probably a year to two years after all of that, that I finally went to counseling and started like processing through the grief of that loss more than anything. And for me, it was like grieving because I had already seen where they were dysfunctional. I could see that. But I think for me, I'm such like a, when I love people, I love them really hard. And I'm like a ride or die friend. So to me, it felt like a death. It felt like I had just lost my closest people, not even her, but just like the other of my like best friends that were in that group. So there was a lot of more grief processing for me than anything. 
of just like being sad because my logical brain could compute why they acted the way they acted, why they did what they did, how they could have the skewed belief systems that they have. But my heart was still like hurting for it. So that's how it ended up processing for me. But it did lead me to getting or at least starting my theology degree that I did not finish. <laughs> uh, that's so funny. I did not finish it. I, at some point I might, but I don't, I don't know that there's a point to it, but I loved the experience. And that was where deconstruction started for me is understanding just what the Bible is like. And then I started reading things because I didn't have anybody standing over my shoulder saying, this is how you should believe and why you like, this is just what you should believe and believe it because I'm telling you. And if you don't believe it, it's because you're in rebellion. There was nobody there. Like we were going to church, but it was like a mega church. So yeah. there wasn't a one-on-one -on -one person telling me what to think. So I had the ability to be like studying, like, cause that's all you do in Bible college is you're studying the Bible. So I was reading a lot of the Bible and studying a lot. And it was just me and Jesus working through that. And there was so much that I was like, I don't agree with what they were telling us is truth. Wow. You know, now that I'm reading the pages for myself, I don't agree with this. And I didn't, we didn't have the language for deconstruction back then. This was in like 2013, 2014. So that wasn't like a, you know, a cultural term, like in the zeitgeist at the time. So it was just, for me, it was just the process of thinking for myself. That's it. I like that you said that because I was just thinking, I can look back and know yeah, absolutely. I went through a deconstruction phase, multiple phases. However, to hear that be such a hot, a hot word now, and I, I can't remember if you were in this chat. I know I said this to Reagan because Reagan, so we have all these side Marco Polos going on. And I know for sure with Reagan, I was like, I, I feel it in my chest a little bit, this angst when people say that, oh, I, well, I'm deconstructing my faith because for some reason it equals, oh my gosh, like, but so are you still a believer? Do you still believe in God? But I can see where I've seen two extremes now. I've seen people who deconstruct their faith and they do, they walk away from church, they walk away from God. And now they're talking to me going, I don't know. I mean, I believe there's God, but I also believe in this, or I just kind of like different. I take something good from all the religions or they are just looking at me going, Liza, that's dangerous to even mm. like, they don't even want to have that conversation, but I'm thinking back when I left. So we, we left bolts around the same year I left in 2014 and and I remember going to coming back to Dallas and I went to a very charismatic church because I was like you, I was raised Baptist. And then I jumped into the deep end of very charismatic. So I was still under the belief because that what they taught was, you know, you speak in tongues, you're going to heaven and, you know, you use all the spiritual gifts and you're closer to the Lord. So I thought, well, I want, I don't know how I feel or think about this, but I want to be, you know superior. I want to for sure go to heaven. So I'll go to this charismatic church, but mm -hmm. I found myself like sick to my stomach and eye rolling. So I left and went to a really conservative church from like my roots. And then I was bored and then yeah. I'm like, well, I don't like it here either. So it took me, I would say three years before I found the church that I'm at now. And they're non-denominational, but very well in between. So I felt comfortable there, but still it was, you hit all these processes where you ask questions and you're going, wait a minute, I don't even think I believe that or why mm -hmm. do you believe that? So I, I'm, I like that you say, it's just, it's asking questions and it's going, hold on, it, why do I think this way? And is this right? So what would yeah. you say to someone who's listening and maybe the deconstruction word is scary. What would you say? Yeah. Well, I think number one, we need to really define the term because what that term has turned into is just a like way for indie Christians in hipster jeans 
to just say something cool about where they're at with their faith. And it very much can be used as an excuse for like why I'm walking away from the church and being immature with my faith. I think that absolutely exists. So I think if we really define it and I'm only, I'm using that terminology because people, because it's popular, but really all that it is, I remember talking to a friend about this and he said, I don't really consider myself ever deconstructing. I'm just learning something new and it changes how I think. Yep. (laughs) And like, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> You're learning something new and it changes how you think. And I remember listening to somebody who was talking about stages of faith and they were equating it. And I wish that I could remember who it was so that I could actually give credit to this, but just know that it didn't come from me, <laughs> but he was talking about stages of faith and relating it to stages of adolescent maturity, like maturing as a child. And so there's like the infant stage, the kids stage, the teenage phase, the college phase, And then you finally arrive at adulthood. And he talked about how what we're calling deconstruction now is really a maturing phase in your faith that's very synonymous with what college, what teenage and college kids do, where you hit a point in your life where like, as you've been growing up, mom and dad have been telling you like, this is how you walk. This is how you talk. This is how you be a good human being. And you hit a point as you're becoming an adult where you start going, but are you sure? Yeah. But do I believe that? But, but I know you said like, don't drink at parties, but I don't know if I believe that and I want to go. And so there's like a level of rebellion and it might not be on that scale. Like, but everybody has this level of rebellion that they have in their journey from childhood to adulthood, where they start questioning what they've been taught. And that's just a natural process of life. And he said, it's the same thing with your faith walk. It's a natural progression of maturing in your faith to start going, okay, when I was a brand new baby Christian, I mean, and Paul talks about this when I was a child, like, you know, you ate like a child. Now it's time to move on to mature things. But so it's like, when you first are starting out in the faith and you know, nothing, it's like, oh my God, somebody tell me what the basics are and how I even follow Jesus. I have no idea. But then there hits a point where you've been serving him for a while and hopefully you have a personal relationship with Jesus that it naturally makes sense for you to go, okay, is this something that I believe because I actually believe it and I have a deep seated core value and conviction about this, or is it just something that I'm believing because someone told me, and Mm -hmm. I think coming out of a cult, it was easier for me to be excited about that and grasp onto that without fear, because I've seen it done. I've, I've seen things being taught the wrong way because the fear that everyone has is that you're going to deconstruct and walk away from the church and end up with these crazy faith systems that aren't even of God. And you're going to get a thousand demons and ruin your life. Like that's the fear that we have, but I've seen the reverse. I've seen the reverse where you're following what's taught by spiritual leaders and it's destroying your life because they're teaching something crazy. That's such a good point. What was the first thing that you remember the big thing that you remember being like, Nope, I, I do not believe that. I do not agree with that. This is, this is what I believe in. And how did you get there? And as far as standing on that going, no, that is inside of me. I believe this and not that. I know exactly what it was with such like visceral clarity. It was male, female relationships, like the male, the male being the head of the home, women not being able to be leaders in church and stuff like that. Mm. And the way that this journey started for me, and questioning that was knowing that God has called me to speak and to teach. It's just, it's inherent. And I don't say that in an arrogant way. I'm not saying I'm going to be the next Christine Kane. I don't care if that looks like just talking to one person. I just know that like, I can't shut up. And so God had to put it to good use. Yeah. That's, and so, and I also know that I have strong leadership characteristics because in every environment I've been in my entire life, I've always ended up being a leader in some way. And so I'm looking at this going, okay, I'm getting promoted at work and I'm leading in this space and all this. And I feel called to talk about Jesus, but I'm being told that for some reason I can't do that over here. And it just, there was something in my spirit that didn't feel right about that. 
that's where, and this is just, I don't know that that will be true for everybody, but I think I'm a very gut led personality type. And so I went in, everything starts to me with like a feeling. I'm like, something doesn't feel right about this. And so I went into research, but this is where I will caution people because it is very hard to read the Bible without a bias. Mm-hmm. And I knew that going in that like, we want to read what we want to believe. Yep. So I went in to studying and answering this question. So the question for me was like, God, this is not making sense. I don't feel like, like it doesn't make sense to me that men are so high above women that women can't lead. I think men are amazing. I don't think women are better than men. I think men are absolutely incredible. But I was like, something doesn't feel right here. So I wanted to study and research it, but I went in with the goal of proving myself wrong. I was looking for every way to prove my own gut feeling wrong. It was like, I want to find all the proof that says that men are the head of the home, that women should should sit down and shut up, that they can't be pastors, they can't be leaders, they can't be teachers. I went in looking for that because it's what I didn't want to believe. And I knew I was going to easily see everything that contradicted that. So I couldn't go in looking for those contradictions. And I think that's what we have to be careful of is like, when we have something in our heart that doesn't feel right, it's very easy to find ways to justify that, especially if we're coming out of hurt and brokenness and woundedness. So that's the other side of this too, is that I didn't want to approach anything out of woundedness. I'm like, God, I just want to find truth. I don't want to edify if you tell me. And so my heart posture was, Lord, if you tell me that everything that I was taught in that cult was accurate, if that's really truth, I'll believe it. I may not like it, but I am, I am still going to follow you. Even if you tell me that the past three years and the way that I spent my life that felt like hell, even if you tell me that that is actually truth and that's right, I'll do it. And so I went in with like that heart posture and that mindset. And I think that's what that, I think that makes a difference. Like you really, there's so much like self-awareness that has to happen in the deconstruction. And this is why I say, I think it's a maturing process. I don't think it's something that brand new baby Christians need to do. I think it's something that happens out of a maturing place. And that's not to say that I like have mastered this and in the most mature human, because that's definitely not true, but I think it's just a, a way to kind of put checks and balances on yourself. But that's where it started for me. It was asking that question and realizing that I didn't agree with what they had taught me. I I see so much biblical evidence for female leadership. And I mean, you know, we just saw what Rick Warren just came out and publicly apologized to women for like having all of that wrong. Yes, and I'm so glad. Actually, I haven't seen that yet, but a friend of mine sent that to me recently and and I need to go find that. But yeah, so what I'm hearing you say so I'm repeating it for clarity because it's good, is it's something that naturally takes place. And I like that comparison to adolescence into adulthood. It's not something that we should will to happen, that we have to sit and try to to make happen and take a a self-analysis of all of the beliefs that we have and and put everything on the table to question. You don't will yourself to go through puberty. You just go through puberty. Yeah, that's very good. Yeah. When it's happening. So I feel like it's, it is a natural process. It's going to happen to us all. You're going to be faced with something where it's what you believe and what you think you believe is put into question. And I always tell people, you don't ever truly believe something until it has been tested. And I know I, I struggled with God's goodness, God's goodness for years because I had so much abuse in my family and, and so much just heartache that it was easy for me to look at the history of my life and my family's life and a lot of people around me and go, how is God good? Where is he? I'm trying not to curse. Where is he? <laughs> you know, just like, uh. however, I, what I did very similar thing to you. I had to come to a point where I thought, okay, fine. If God, if it, if this is life, fine. 
but you have to show me where you are in it. And if you are healer, redeemer, and you set people free, I don't see how this can be my life or the lives of my family or anyone who experiences any kind of trauma or heartbreak. And God showed up to me and showed me where he was in those really horrible situations. And so after that, when I knew this is where God was, and he took me back to those hard times, then I believed he's good. And at this point, no one and nothing could ever cause that to go into question for me because it settled deep inside. And something I, I also thought of when you were talking is Reagan, our mutual friend, she has a friend, Sinead, who, have you ever spoken to Sinead? I haven't, but I've heard many oh. stories. <laughs> I love Sinead. She's Irish. She was on the podcast, the original podcast, and I'd love to have her come back again. She's full of opinions and she loves to have these kinds of conversations. And I wasn't there for this, but Reagan said this to me and I told her I was going to steal it. So here I am stealing it. Uh, they were, they were talking Reagan and Sinead and Sinead said, I don't want to believe something because it serves me. Mm, that's so and, good. Yeah. That I was like, Oh, she said, I want to believe it because it's true. Yeah. And, and I'm like, that's it. We have so much theology and so much of our thinking is built around because we want it to serve us. Yeah. And, I mean, I, I could get real controversial and get into sex before marriage or abortion or LBGT and talk about, I don't know, does it, is it serving you or is it what maybe too far, but you know, no, I don't think that's too far at all because these are real questions of things that we have to deal with in our world every day. And I understand why people don't want to ask those questions because it's hard work. And it can potentially uproot everything that you built your life around. I mean, it, the man and woman, who's the head of the home? I mean, if you just take that in a marriage context, that can totally rock the foundations of your marriage. If you've operated in such a way that says, you know, my spouse is going to make the major decisions. My husband's going to make the major decisions. And I trust him to hear from God. And then you transition that to like, oh, wait, I believe that you know, I should have some say in this as well. And like, God is the head of the home and we're supposed to be following. That changes your life. Yeah. You know, it, it does. Your, you know, stances on purity culture. If you, you know, even if, obviously if you're single, that's going to make a big difference. If you start digging into that and your convictions change. But even like, if you're married already, if you have children, that's going to impact how you parent. So I think a lot of people, there's two things that I see happen. It's either people will run toward deconstruction because they've been hurt by the church and they want something, something to edify their woundedness. And I'm not a fan of that. That's good. And then you see people that run away from deconstruction because it looks scary because it kind of is. Mm -hmm. But I mean, the alternative is to keep living for man instead of living for God. And that might sound extreme, but if you're only believing something because a person told you that and not because you have that in your heart and soul, that's what you're doing. You're living based off of fear of man, not because like you are so convinced that this is what the Holy Spirit wants you to do. And I know people don't like hearing that, but like that's at the, at, at its core, that's what it is. And yeah. I think when I had that revelation too, I've always been like, I love Jesus. I love him. I want to know what he has to say. So to me, and I mean, at that point, I think again, it was easier for me to go through the deconstruction phase or whatever you want to call it because I lost everything. So to me, I was like, there ain't nothing to lose. What do I believe? <laughs> yeah. uh, but that process takes a long time. It took years. And there was even a level where, so fast forwarding, there were little things like that about women's roles and finances and, you know, what the role of spiritual authority is that got uprooted during that time. And that was very healthy because it helped us break down what had happened in the cult. And then my husband and I, my now husband, we got married and that was all great. And then we've always been in ministry. So we continued being in ministry. And then the pandemic happened. And that was 
when the pandemic happened, so we were in Dallas at a church I'm obsessed with. We were leaders at Embassy City Church. I have no bad things to say about them. Oh. Embassy City Church is one of the healthiest churches I have ever encountered. Tim Ross, who used to be the pastor and he just passed the torch to Tim Rivers, is one of the greatest humans on planet earth. I love him and adore him. Huge part of our healing journey. But oh. so we were sent out from there to plant a house church. And in that process of planting that house church, this happened right before the pandemic. So we were like getting it off the ground floor and then everything shut down, but we moved from Dallas to Austin. And so we were very much in an environment now where like in Dallas, we had had, we had built a ton of community. We had built like new foundational faith principles that were healthy. And now we were completely uprooted in Austin, Texas. We're completely isolated the pandemic happened. So the whole world shuts down and we're seeing red flags with the new ministry that we have partnered with. Oh, so boy. then this was unearthing a whole new mess of questions around all of a sudden, I'm not just in the rhythm of doing everyday life and ministry the way it's always been done. Now we're in a completely different environment. And now I have all brand new questions of things I have to sort out with the Lord. Now, all of a sudden, now that I'm not just like required, not required, but like now that it's not in my daily rhythm to go to a Sunday service and a worship night, all of a sudden worship isn't hitting the same. And now I'm starting to question if I even want to listen to this music. And now all of a sudden I've been studying the Bible for 10 years and I don't want to pick it up anymore. And what do I do with that? And so during the pandemic, there was a whole new layer to work through of, okay, what do I actually believe about my personal connection with the Lord and spiritual disciplines? and my relationship with the church. And that was a whole new box of things to uncover all within that time frame as a result of what that was. But that ended up being the best thing that's ever happened. So at the end of the day, to me, I'm like deconstruction should pull you closer to the Lord, not further away from him. Like if you're going in with the right heart and the right intent, it should never be something that's driving you from God. And it shouldn't be something that we're afraid of because it's like God is God and truth is truth. If we believe that like there is truth to be found and we may not find it on this side of heaven, not absolute truth, but if we believe that God is truth and that is to be found, then if someone is genuinely seeking him, they should find him. Like God's not hiding from us. And if somebody, this is, and this is a bold statement, but I'm like, if people start doing deconstruction and they're walking away from the Lord, they were going to walk away from him anyways. They just needed an excuse. I'm like, to me, that just, that's yeah. somebody that yeah. hasn't encountered him really. Yeah. That's, but again, that's my personal opinion. It's, I can't speak absolutely for everybody, but that's what I have to say about that. I love that 100%. We get, I've said it, I don't know how many times, every other podcast, it breaks my heart when people experience hurt in the church and, and that can look like anything. It, it can look like you came from a cult. It can look like something horrible happened to you from someone else in the church on staff or whatever. And, and they use that to walk away. And that it breaks my heart sometimes, but it also infuriates me because I'm like, I, I I've actually looked at a few people recently who they were in the cult with me. And I know that we've prayed for people for healing and they got healed. They've seen people stand up and walk who could not walk. We've sat in those worship sessions where the you felt the presence of Holy Spirit. And so we've been in all of these same situations and all of these same ministry settings, but yet they're looking at me and they're like, no, I don't. And, and I'm just going, what was going on for you at that point? And I don't want it to sound like I'm attacking anyone in particular, but I'm like, what, then what were you doing? Good Go people are trying to belong. They're trying yeah. to belong. Right. And I'm like, man, that's so, so that, that also, I think says a lot about you can be in the same room and witness the same thing. And, and God can be encountering that room and not everyone will encounter him and that makes me sad but that has to do with your heart posture it has to do with you know what what do you really want out of this and do you want to believe something that serves you or do you want to believe something because that's the truth 
So I totally agree with that yeah. of it's got, you've got to be seeking truth. And if deconstruction should be pushing you closer to the Lord, but breaking it down into conversations, because I've run into this where like, I have friends who will come to me and we'll be having this conversation and it'll challenge, well, what do I believe about hell? Is there a hell? Is there not a hell? What do I believe about angels and demons? What do I believe? And so you can easily start walking into waters that feel unsafe, walking into waters that you, it's just the unknown. Yeah. So have you dealt with that? And what did you do with that? Oh, 100%. I deal with that every day. I say that like, (laughs) I, I feel like I am sure about less now than I ever have been in my life. Like I have more questions and answers, but I feel closer to the Lord than I've ever felt before. And so to me, there's a lot of questions like that. And I think part of it is like Western culture is that we want answers. Yep. Period. Like we want all the answers. We are not comfortable with being uncertain, but biblical culture and Jewish culture was very comfortable with not being hundred percent on things. So that was like, our Bible is rooted in a culture of uncertainty and not having absolute answers. And I know that people don't want to hear this, but if you get down to it, there are many things that we will not know absolute truths on until we get to heaven. So I think again, being in Bible college to me helps because I very much like to look at both sides of an argument. Even if I disagree strongly with one or the other, I want to see the full picture. And so I would read and study about things like homosexuality, heaven and hell, the existence of demons, all that kind of stuff from two sides. And you have two people who are extremely passionate about the Bible and they are hungry for the Lord. And they are like going through scripture and exegeting the text and pulling out Greek and Hebrew. And both of them sound right. I'm like, I totally see where, how you got there on both sides. And so to me, I'm like, at the end of the day, we don't know for sure because the argument that each side is making is pretty friggin' strong. And that's not true with every topic. There are some topics that I feel like are pretty black and white in scripture, but I think they're few and far between. And I had to wrestle with maybe that's not the point of scripture. Maybe the point was not to be black and white. Maybe it was to lead us, you know, for into more questions so that we have more of a dependence on the Holy Spirit. Yep. So that was like number one for me was realizing that either side could be true. And I don't have absolute certainty. I would always pick a side of the fence based on what I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying to me out of like, you know, you kind of take scripture, you take history, you take, you know, the culture of the church and you take personal experience and you kind of weigh all of those things together to come to a conclusion. But I can't say absolutely that's true. So that was like step one was like being okay with the uncertainty. The other side of that was realizing what mattered and what didn't, because at the end of the day, I know we want to say that it all matters. We want to say that like every single issue we have to take a stance on and it's the most important thing in the world, but realistically it's not because it doesn't, there are many things that would not change how I approach people or how I approach Jesus. Homosexuality is a great example. I have picked a side of the fence on that, but I'm not going to tell you with absolute certainty that I am 100% correct because I've studied both sides, but Mm -hmm. either way, regardless of which side of the fence I fall on, it does not change how I approach people and how I approach God. And so to me, I'm like, this is not a hill to die on. It's something that I can have questions on and we can have conversations about, but like, this doesn't affect my day-to-day life with Jesus. Whether or not hell for sure exists doesn't affect my day-to-day life with Jesus. And I feel like when something hits that point where it is that big of a deal that it's going to affect my day-to-day life, I trust that the Holy Spirit is going to show that to me. So there's a level of like partnership too, and trusting yourself and trusting your relationship with God to know if it was that important, he's going to tell me about it. He's not a bad father. He's not like a jerk trying to like 
good luck picking the right path. I'm not going to show you anything. Like he wants you to walk with him. He wants you to follow him. So my approach is like waking up, you know, reading the Bible, having a basic understanding of the Bible and talking to Jesus. And to me, I'm like, I love the Lord and I listen to what he says. And that's, that's what it comes down to for me. It doesn't mean that I don't research things. It doesn't mean I don't have questions, but the way that I operate in my life and the way that I interact and love on people and love on my family and structure my heart and operate in the workplace is centered out of who do I know God to be and how do I become more like that? And I'm going to listen to him as I'm going about my life. And if I'm doing something wrong, I'm going to trust that he's going to correct me. That Yep. 100%. I don't think we realize how much of our worldview, our culture, our experiences, our politics, we pile all of that into one big thing. And we do look through a very biased lens, like you said, and, and it, it just is what it is. I don't think it's anything to feel shame about or to feel like, totally. oh my gosh, I have to fix this. It, just, it is what it is. And I think th there's a podcast I listen to. I know I mentioned it to, to you and Reagan. It's called the Bama podcast. And I, I'll put it in the show description just as a resource because it's incredible but pre-warning, it's a commitment. Like this is a Jewish rabbi who goes through the entire Bible and he does an excellent job at breaking down the differences between Easterners and Westerners and how we view the Bible and how we read that. I think God takes that into account. Totally. I think he does. And so I don't, I don't know. I, people could challenge this when they say we should live as Christ and yes, we should, but well, Christ was Jewish. So let's start there. <laughs> we go. There's that. But I'm also like, I think God has a lot of grace for all of the cultures, the backgrounds, the experiences, all the things and the lens that we look through. And so I love the way that you put that. It was, it's just a very practical, easy way and my, my goal of this podcast is to get people to just kind of like, let's, let's take the deconstruction up, out off of the pedestal or out of the yeah. scary box and just, Hey, this is super simple. And this is something yeah. everybody goes through. And I had a thought earlier and it's gone now, but it's really, <laughs> it'll come back. <laughs> it'll, it'll bring it back. Dang it. Uh, but I, I do, I just, I think that we have a tendency to look through that lens and think that we're right. Oh, this is what I wanted, was going to say. Yeah. I went to harvest school back in 2016. For those who don't know what that is, it's a mission school and it's in Mozambique, Africa. And it is, it's about three months long. It's international. So they have hundreds of people from all over the world who come at twice a year to this school. And I have never seen it more prevalent than there. When you are in a compound for several months with a few hundred people from all over the world, you see this. You see where, you know, in Mozambique, they're extremely conservative. You do not drink alcohol. That's the culture. If you're a Christian, yeah. you don't drink alcohol. Well, we were also there with a few hundred Europeans who absolutely drink alcohol. Yeah. And so that was a conversation of, is alcohol a heaven and hell issue? I don't think so. I think it depends well, if, on- If it was, then wouldn't he be telling everybody around the world that? Right, exactly. I'm and like, if he, if it was this big of a deal, I'm like the God of the universe, who we all will sit there and quote, like Psalms and Jeremiah and say, you formed me in my mother's womb. Before you formed me, you, know, formed me, you knew me. And he's formed us all as these hyper unique individuals. We're not even like our fingerprints are the same. And yet at the same time, we then want to believe that there's only one way to come to Jesus and worship him and serve him. And like, if he, he made the choice to make us all unique and different. So perhaps his intent was always for things to just be slightly different and that'd be okay. Like maybe he's okay with that. Otherwise, why, why is it not mentioned at all in scripture? 
Yeah. Why is it not mentioned that every single nation of the world should serve him like this? Like if the order of the church mattered that dramatically, why did they not say, here are the rules for establishing a church? Here are the <laughs> rules for how you walk out your Christian faith. I think what's, I think just as important as what is in the Bible is recognizing what's not in the Bible. Of yes. like the things that are not said, the things that are not listed out. And I think it's important to try and realize that what we think it should be is maybe not what God created it to be. Even if it would be easier, if it was <laughs> like, yes. it would be easier if it was like, here are the instructions for how to be a Christian. Step one, read this step two, like, yeah, that would be easier, but there's a reason why he didn't set it up that way. You know, if it was easy like that, then you're following instructions. You're not building a relationship. So I love that. Well, before we end this, I'll say this. And then I want to ask if you have any resources or closing thoughts, something I was thinking about, I, I hated reading my Bible growing up. I'll admit I hated it because it was a it felt very legalistic, religious, like in the mornings, like step one, yeah. get up, read your Bible for this long and this many minutes. And I hated that. So for years and years, I did, I did not read the Bible. And I honestly, I, I didn't love reading it until a couple of years, maybe five years ago. And now it's, it's something that I read every day. Cause I want to, cause I want yeah want to learn and I want to know. And so I would absolutely say for anyone who has questions and you do, because you're a human, anyone who is going through, you should, you should. if you don't have questions, I have questions you and you don't have questions. questions. <laughs> Please see a therapist. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you're going through this right now, this deconstruction and you're going, oh my gosh, that's me for sure you have got to read your Bible. You have to get in the word. And like you said, you you're, you have to read what does the Bible say and what does it not say? I think it's so important to do that. But if, if you had any last words of advice, a takeaway or any resources that really helped you in your journey, what would you give? Uh, resources that I, I'm a big podcast girl, so I love podcasts, um, but I will give a book and two podcasts. Uh, I think a foundational place, if you're a reader of somewhere to start reading is there's two books. There's like a level one read called sitting at the feet of rabbi Jesus. And it's about the Jewishness of Jesus and Jewish culture, a more advanced version of the same topic that I really love is called our father, Abraham. I think it's incredibly important to understand Jewish culture because that is the context in which most of the Bible was written. Um, and there are things that we just miss and that get lost because we don't have that basic understanding. And um, so as Westerners, I think that is incredibly important. And those are two very, very good books that you can take highlight that will help with that understanding. And then on the podcast front, they're the Bible for normal people and then the Bible project. And these are two podcasts that fall on completely opposite ends of the spectrum. The Bible project, new to me. I've listened to those. Yeah. The Bible project is very like conservative going and they both are just going through the Bible and like taking apart what the text says. Um, the Bible project is very conservative. I love it. It's fantastic. The Bible for normal people is more liberal. Um, I think both are important. I'm not saying I agree with everything that either one says. I think both are incredibly important and both do a really, really good job at diving into scripture and both podcast hosts, you can tell, have a love and reverence for the Lord and for scripture. Um, but those are two that I think are fantastic, like listening resources for digging into topics about scripture. And they've been, those podcasts have been successful for years. So you can find literally anything that you wanted to dig into, you can find in those. Yeah. Yeah. And I've listened to the Bible for normal people. And there have been episodes where I'm like, yes, I yeah. loving it. And there have been episodes where I'm like, I'm cringing inside and I don't love this. So it, but I listen to it because I think it's important when you have people come to you and ask you, why do you, or do you not believe X, Y, Z? I feel like you should have some sort of an answer. And if you don't, that's okay, but maybe research it and get one. 
Yeah, for sure. That's exactly what I was going to say. I'm like, I think every person needs to have, an, I mean, this is, this is a verse in scripture. Like we all should be able to give an account for the hope that we have. Like you should be able to answer for why you believe what you believe. And this is not, that's not an attack on anybody. It's just, it's the next step of maturing in your faith is like asking that question. Do, if something doesn't sit right for whatever reason, you have just that feeling and something just doesn't feel right. It's like, well, lean into that and don't be afraid of that. I think, you know, go into it with a heart to find truth and to find Jesus. If you're focused on Jesus, I don't know anyone who focuses on Jesus and loses. I just, I just don't see There's how that's there. a loss. <laughs> that's a mic drop right there. <laughs> yeah. So just focus on Jesus and be willing to ask the questions. And I mean, at the end of the day, that doesn't necessarily mean that anything massive in your life has to change. When I look at how I live my life now compared to how I lived my life, you know, seven years ago and the journey of deconstruction, my life has lived exactly the same, even though my beliefs have changed on certain things. My relationship with God hasn't changed and my relationship with people hasn't changed. I've prayerfully become a better human being and become a more mature person prayerfully, but the general scope of how I approach the world has not altered that much. So I don't think we need to have this massive fear that, you know, we're going to get a thousand demons and, you know, rot in the pits of hell and God's going to turn away from us because sure. Has that happened to people? Yes. Were they probably already going that direction? Probably. So yeah, now I'm just repeating what we've already said because I don't know how to shut up. <laughs> I love it. I could keep going, but I know, I know we need to end. But thank you. I will always forever have this conversation. I love this conversation. And Same. I want to have you back for a part two. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. I would love to. I can talk about this stuff all day. And I have so many thoughts on all the topics. So again, this is like the one thing Jesus, like all I gave her was a mouth. So if she can't mm -hmm. shut up, let's use it for good.